As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our Champions League review. Bayern Munich are the latest to give us an annual tradition, the removal of PSG from the Champions League competition. <laughs> the Parisians defending got a little bit tatty with no thanks to Marco Verratti. And Milan survived their London bout to continue Tottenham's traditional trophy drought. Over at Stamford Bridge, the action was a little hotter as Chelsea helped the job security of Mr. Graham Potter. And Scott Parker's time is over at Club Bruges as Benfica racked up an aggregate score that was pretty huge. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who can't wait to talk about controversial penalty decisions in great depth, Taylor Rockwell. So a tight 20 minutes on that. What do you think? Yeah, that's one of those things, right, where you kind of have to talk about it. It's a momentous moment. And at the same time, there are 400 different ways of analyzing it and discussing it, none of which really matter because it's all done and Chelsea advance. Indeed, I shall enjoy. And yeah, let's let's do a whole segment on that. That sounds uh, Joe is so excited for that. Joe's favorite thing is uh, nuance and like way too inside (laughs) baseball conversations about rules and how they impact individual moments. Uh, speaking of the devil, he is the dictator of Porto and possibly now the Lord of Lisbon, Joe Lowry. Are you a Benfica fanboy now? Oh, I like that. I I wouldn't call myself a Benfica fanboy. I think Porto will always have my heart. But I will say I very much enjoyed watching through parts of that game, watching the goals from that game. Ryan, you teased oh. it before I'd seen it because I, I didn't get a chance to watch this one live. So I went back through and watched it yesterday as we're recording on Thursday. And you told me that the goals were good. And you were not lying. I think, uh, <laughs> guys, I think this Gonzalo Ramos fella might, might have something. Yeah. I don't know. I think I'm the first yeah. to say that. But I think he's got a little something here. Yep, indeed. Even the disallowed goals were glorious in that one, Joe. We will get to that shortly, but not before we introduce a man who delivers analysis like Eric Chupamoting delivers the ball into the back of empty nets with ease and precision. Graham Ruthven, hello. Hello, Ryan Bailey. There's a sentence we didn't think we'd be saying this time mm. last year. Eric Chupamoting, <laughs> the main man for Bayern Munich in the Champions League. Is, mm. is this a simulation we're living in? Is this a re- real life? 
Feels that way. Feels that way, doesn't it? But hey, here we are. Let's all enjoy it. Eric promoting everybody. Stoke former, PSG former, in fact. I know. Uh, ultimate revenge. <laughs> ultimate revenge. <laughs> Indeed. Good times. Good times. Let's get into the action, show. We Actually, I'll just uh, remind you, patreon.com slash Show is where we do bonus episodes. We've got videos on there. You know, may- maybe Joe will do a dance on there one day. Joe, can you <laughs> do a dance on there one day? I, yeah, sure. Yeah, I can. I'm yeah, not very good excellent. at dancing, but uh, if you tell me what you want, I'll I'll deliver. All right, I did cool. a dance on there once when we we're in Brooklyn. So Joe, it's your yeah, turn. Yeah, true, true. All right, I like well, it. I'm in. It's all happening on Patreon. All the serious stuff, guys. So do head over there. Why don't we start off? We'll look at Tuesday's matches. We'll start off with Chelsea two Dortmund nil. Chelsea going through two one on aggregate in this one. Uh, Raheem Sterling getting a goal after nearly not getting a goal and then a controversial (laughs) penalty as we mentioned converted by Kai Havertz after being retaken Uh, Graham Dortmund's first loss of 2020 first non-win of 2023 should we call this Uh, it was interesting seeing this Dortmund side that played against Leipzig this seemed like a different team a more passive team that showed up in this game yeah, it was slightly disappointing from Dortmund, as as you say, they recorded their first non-win of 2023, otherwise known as a defeat, I think, in uh, soccer parlance. <laughs> if you're going to use uh, fancy words, sure. <laughs> yeah, um, it was disappointing from Dortmund. I expected a little bit more from them. Jude Bellingham came out after the match. I'm always just super impressed with Jude Bellingham, the way he speaks. I cannot believe Is he still 19 years old or is he out of his teenage years? He's actually gone backwards. He's 17 now. (laughs) Right, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, super impressed with Jude Bellingham. Not so much on the pitch in this game. Slightly passive from him, a bit anonymous, but he kind of came out after the match, said they didn't deserve to go through two passes, as you say, Ryan Bailey, and, and Chelsea deserved it. This result had been coming for Chelsea. I'm not trying to pretend that everything, you know, has actually been okay recently and it's uh you know it's only luddites that that value things like points and goals and and obviously it has been terrible recently but this was an assertive performance it was an extension of what we had seen from Chelsea uh recently only this time there were actually real life goals in this game and Potter looked a bit relieved relieved about that after full time um he didn't watch Havertz take the second penalty kick he sat with his head down and admitted that was because he couldn't take the tension of the moment. And Todd Bowley, he was in the changing room afterwards to give Potter a beer and presumably, you know, new signings, because I, I presume every time Todd Bowley and Graham Potter meet, there is a new signing with him. But as I say, Graham Potter, uh, very relieved. This was a good performance from Chelsea. Uh, and as I say, they actually scored some goals this time. So all in all, a good day for them. Is that hey. is that true about the beer, Graham? I, I mean, I know the new signings yeah. thing is true, obviously. That, that was never in doubt. But he's like, here, here's a Bud Light for you. Is that actually what happened? It was a Bud Light yeah. and Gonzalo Ramos, I think. He had right. Right. Well. right, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, that, that is true. Not so much the Gonzalo Ramos part. He was playing ah. another game this evening. Um, but yeah, he went down to the changing room with a beer, which... I don't know how Potter would take that. Uh, it's a, maybe slightly <laughs> condescending from your own owner yeah. to bring a beer every time you win a game. Do you mean you uh, should have brought two beers? Yeah, maybe should have brought a shoe to do a shoe. Yeah, to <laughs> there celebrate. it is. Uh, yeah, there that's it what should have done. Oh my word! I love that. I did not know that about this game. I I enjoyed this match, and for the first time in what feels like a long time, I enjoyed watching Chelsea. Like this was a game that reminded me of how much darn talent there is in this team. Like when you have a front line of Raheem Sterling, who played a lot as a number nine in this game, which we haven't seen. Think at all this year for Chelsea, or at least not that I can recall. Then you've got Kai Havertz and Joe Felix kind of roaming underneath him and interchanging at times as well. And then you got Enzo Fernandez and Kovacic deeper down in midfield, kind of forming the box with Havertz and Felix. 
I thought it was a good performance from Chelsea. Not not a great performance. I don't think they played Dortmund off the park. I thought it was relatively even in this match, kind of up until Sterling gets that goal, even though there were some offside chances for, for Chelsea that maybe gave them the edge. In general, in this match, I thought Potter won the tactical battle over Edin Terzic. You go through and watch this tape. Dortmund are defending in their, their usual 4-1-4-1 block. So it's Emre Chan as the number six with two number eights ahead of him. Chelsea are building out of a back three. That's great. They do that a decent amount, although it's, it's also been a change from the back four to the back three recently for Graham Potter. But then they've got Kovacic and Fernandez in front of the back three. And then in front of Kovacic and Fernandez, that's two central midfielders, they've got Felix and, and, and Havertz, which I just mentioned. So essentially, they've got a 4v3 almost all the time in central midfield, Chelsea. They used their their uh, their deeper midfield to Kovacic and Fernandez to sort of help uh, distract Jude Bellingham and Oskan, the two number eights for Dortmund. So those almost neutralized each other for large stretches of this game. And then you're left with a 2v1 with Felix and Havertz against Emre Chan, which, if you're Dortmund, is not really where you want to be. It puts a ton of stress on Chan. It also puts a lot of stress on the back line to come in and support him, either a center back stepping or a fullback coming inside, which then leaves gaps other places. It might leave the wings open. We saw this pattern uh, uh, you know, five, six times in the first half for Chelsea before they broke through. And then ultimately, we see it on the goal. It's it's Sterling's actual goal that comes after the Havertz offside goal, which also came from this overload. Sterling's goal in the 43rd minute has Havertz receiving the ball in buildup outside of Chan. Like, Chan can't get over fast enough. Havertz gets on the ball. He drives forward. Chelsea go down, and they score. It's not like, you know, you can directly attribute the goal to, to that overload, but it, it helped Chelsea get down the field. It helped them build in possession. It helped them gain some confidence in a game where, they really weren't trying to keep the ball all the time. They were okay to let Dortmund have it. I think that was part of why we saw Dortmund look a little bit worse than they did against Leipzig. Chelsea are better on the ball when they have it, and when Dortmund gave it, uh, when Chelsea gave it to Dortmund, they just weren't quite as productive in this match. So credit to Potter, credit to Chelsea. I thought this was a, a good, if not great, performance, but if you're Chelsea, that is a pretty large step up from where you've been for a lot of this new year. Uh, I'll echo what Graham and Joe have already said. I will say good, not great for Chelsea, and I would say not good for Dortmund. Uh, it was frustrating, I think, given the conversation we had about them versus Leipzig and how it felt like maybe they had turned a corner. We talked about the winning run. We talked about how at least I felt like that Leipzig game was one where they would have dropped points in seasons past. And really, this whole match week was sort of conforming to the past narrative. Chelsea, with all their signings, find a way to get the win. Dortmund sort of implode a little bit, I would say. Benfica trounced Bruges. Bruges, who we weren't sure would ever like, make it to this level, and then they did, but didn't go very far. Spurs crashing out, PSG crashing out, Bayern being relentless. It all is sort of going to script at this point, it feels. And, and in this game, I think Dortmund at times, like, let it go to script is the wrong way to put it, but it, it reminded me of in FIFA when the video game has just decided the other team is scoring. For that Sterling goal, Dortmund have so many different bites at the apple to win the ball back, to clear the ball, to make the defensive plays that I think they've made at other points in this season. And I mean, it's exemplified by Raheem Sterling whiffing the first shot and then still being able to control it, still get the shot off, and then it takes even a little deflection there, I think, as he's controlling it, and he's still able to get a shot off. It just, it wasn't Dortmund's evening, and I think they weren't as sharp as they have looked previously, but I think Joe also does a great job of explaining how they were kind of carved open by Chelsea. 
that 4141 block was so effective and so tight and so denying of space to Leipzig over the weekend. I, I have to wonder if Graham Potter sort of watched the way Leipzig got back into this game and thought if we can overload and then pull them apart and, and just make them focus on the wrong defensive responsibilities, that will open up opportunities elsewhere. And that's pretty much how this went down. The VAR penalty certainly helps Chelsea get the result they needed and keep this one from going into extra time. But I, I still think in, in rewatching bits and pieces of this one last night, I, I kind of thought it was a bit more balanced and watching it again, it does feel like Chelsea sort of were able to, if not control the game, dictate large passages of how it was being played out. It felt to me, Graham, also that it was important that several Chelsea players really showed up for this one. Uh, Cucciarella was great in this one. Ben Chua was great. Kai Havertz had quite a game as well. And in, on, a night, on a night when you need your players to show up, it really rather helps. Yeah, indeed it does. So two players that you mentioned there in particular I was I was super impressed with. Uh, Kai Havertz, I thought he had arguably his best performance as a Chelsea player, certainly in a big consequential match. I haven't really seen that from him in, in a Chelsea shirt before. He's been playing as the centre forward recently, but for this match it was more of a pairing with Raheem Sterling um, and that meant Havertz could drop a little bit deeper where he could do more in the in the half spaces and generally just get more on the, on the ball more and have more of an influence and then having Sterling as the out ball as well just gave Chelsea that bit of verticality which they haven't always had under Potter since he came in and then the second player was Ben Chilwell and I thought this was a re- this game was a reminder of how good he can be and it didn't come out of nowhere because even though Chelsea haven't been winning and haven't been getting the results I think Chil- Chilwell since he's come back from injury has made a difference but just having that drive and directness and having someone who is just willing to burst into the opposition box like Chilwell does made as I say made a difference to Chelsea. Mm. He's he's my favourite Chelsea player because na- he, obviously he owns the restaurant brand Chili's um, of course, <laughs> his family business. So I'm I'm a big fan of his. Um, I think he's from Milton Keynes. Actually, I'm not even okay, kidding. I think he's like from Milton anymore. Keynes. He's done. He's done. Uh, Joe, it was good to see uh, Pulisic get game time here. Yeah. Gio Reyna coming on for an injured player rather than you know the yeah, other way. That was yeah, nice. Right. Usually it's the other way around. I didn't even pick up on that. Ryan, that's a great point. He comes on for Julian Brandt in the fifth minute of this match. It's just good to see Reyna get a long run. I think he Terza just talked about this. You know, he's not been ready to go for a full 90. They've been trying to be careful with his minutes because of how injury-prone he is. But you see him come on in this game, Gio Reyna, and, and you're reminded just how good he is. Right? He doesn't look out of place at all. He controls the ball. He had a lot of really good influ- – well, maybe not a lot. He had a number of good influential actions in this game. Good in the first half, I thought. Had a, a nice moment specifically that I pinpointed in the 65th minute. Gets in the right side of the box. Cuts it back well. Just looks like a guy that can help pull the strings, that can contribute to a – a high-level attack, and that's exactly what you want to see if you're a U.S. men's national team fan. That's what you want to see if if you're uh, if you're Giorena as well. And then Christian Pulisic, I just was happy to see him on the field. Finally, it's been more than two months since we saw him last for Chelsea. It was January 5th was the last time he played. Also, extremely injury-prone. That's kind of been the curse of the U.S. men's national team. Didn't really come back to bite them all that much outside of Reyna, it seems, at the World Cup. But all in all, great to see Pulisic back. Played the last 10 minutes or so. Didn't really do anything noteworthy. Tried to dribble it to the corner flag once and kind of got bodied off the ball. And, you know, it, it wasn't anything to write home about if you're Pulisic, but a building block for him that hopefully is the start of a sequence of events that maybe gets him the heck out of the Premier League sooner rather than later because <laughs> it's time for that to happen. I, I, I found it weird watching the two of them on the same pitch as opponents. It was like the Spider-Man point at Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. 
strange. Well, I, don't, um, I don't know why I found it strange because obviously you know it's 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 not uh, out of the question that Dortmund and Chelsea could play each other because they did, but it was weird to me. Did anyone else get that Grant, sense? It was more like um, it was Bart and Lisa when they play ice hockey and then they end up hugging at the end. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, was there a hug between Reina and Pulisic at sure, the end in the, in the locker room? It was it was weird for me to see them face off against each other. I'm not. Like I'm not sure that we've actually seen that before, Graham, which might might be part of that. Maybe we have, and yeah. I'm forgetting about it. But the other bit is, I just completely forgot that Christian Pulisic ever played for Dortmund. Like that feels <laughs> like it was an eternity ago. I'm sitting there thinking, like, oh, it's good to see Pulisic back, and then I actually remembered, oh, especially against his former team as well. That that was in another lifetime. I'm, I will not be convinced mm. otherwise. Uh, Tater, my final question for mm. this game. Is this a catalyst? Is this a turning point for Chelsea? Can we get a, a good, uh, you know, a good line out of this one? Is is this? Do you think this is what Graham Potter side needed? Are they going to push on from this point? I'm going to say the same thing several different ways over yeah. and over. What do you think? <laughs> I do. I, I really do. I mean, it's one result. They could just crash back down to earth. But I think as this game went on, there were moments where it felt like, oh, here we go. It's another like sort of quote unquote Chelsea performance under Graham Potter, exemplified by Kai, Kai Havertz. I still don't understand how that shot doesn't go in. The one that hits the inside of the post and then goes out across the far side post. Like that that volley in the first half felt for all the world like it was going in. Raheem Sterling even has that one that I think is eventually called back for offside early in the game. But he sort of played in, can't decide what to do and ends up doing nothing. And in those moments, it felt like kind of... Here we go. It's the same old Chelsea this season that they're not taking their chances. They don't look unified. They don't look like they're playing as a unit. And then as the game goes on, I think the game plan works, as we've talked about already. I think they get performances from individuals that haven't sort of met the level they needed to. And then Kai Havertz, I mean, for missing that first one that hits off the post, then having his penalty saved, but then retaking it, going to pretty much the exact same spot, though a little bit more inside this time, and and, and getting that goal. I think there is absolutely grounds for optimism if you're a Chelsea fan, and not just U.S. Chelsea fans, because Christian Pulisic was back on the pitch. Uh, but I think you need a result like this when you are struggling to just remind you, like, right, we can win. We're fine. It's not as as bad as it seems. We can kind of build on this, and I won't be surprised if that's exactly what they do. Is this not another example, though, of, of soccer just being silly, where Chelsea have, like, played... They played kind of like this against Leeds. They, they actually played relatively well in the first leg against Dortmund and got a little bit unfortunate. And there is a scenario where the whiff from Sterling's first shot doesn't land at his feet and that chance doesn't come to anything. And then there's a scenario where the officials rule the penalty in a, in a different way and Chelsea don't score again and, and we're kind of back where we where we started. So I hope I kind of hope it's a catalyst for Chelsea because I'd like to see Grim, Grim Potter do well. But unfortunately, I don't think soccer is as easy as that. Uh, and it's it's more of a kind of sliding scale of progression for Chelsea. But yes, a step forward, undoubtedly. Mm. Soccer is random and cruel like life, Graham, I suppose, is what we're Indeed. getting at there. Yeah. Indeed. Okay. On that note, let's take a quick break. Oh, by the way, we didn't even do the tight 20 on the uh, penalty decision there. So listen, you're welcome ah, it's on okay. that. Yeah, it's, it's fine. fine. It was a farce. It's fine. There we Maybe. go. Yep. Yeah, that's all you need to know. <laughs> or it was spot on, one way or the other. <laughs> we're good. Yep. Yeah. Depending on your... Uh, Great your... area. <laughs> yeah. Okay, quick break time. When we come back, let's dig into Benfica's victory and Milan pushing through against Tottenham back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's turn our attentions to Benfica 5, Club Rouge 1. 7-1 on aggregate Benfica goes through. As we mentioned uh, on the top, Joe, some truly amazing goals in this. Even, I think it was Jean Mario who had the back heel disallowed at the very start, which was awesome. Yep. The best goal of the game was Club Rouge's um, consolation at the end from Maya. That was awesome, like a really nice touch. Uh, but this game, unfortunately, Joe, has cost Scott Parker his job. No longer a Champions League co- uh, coach, and Club Rouge are no longer Scott Parker's Club Rouge, so we have to find a different prefix for them. He's been fired after 12 games in charge. Uh, in the league, he's 21 points off of Genk in first place in, yeah. in the Belgian league. Uh, they were champions three years running prior to him arriving. Oh boy. Yeah, things are not going well for Club Bruges right now. Uh, you look at this performance and they were completely outclassed. They were, I mean, they were also outclassed in the, in the group stage, though, right? They were the worst team to make it to this point. They were saved over and over again by their goalkeeper, by Simon Mignolet. He was fantastic in the, in the, in the goal Excuse me. In the group stage, I know soccer words that we use on this show. It, it was it was probably always going to be unsustainable for Brugge in this competition, and and I think we saw that in this particular tie, losing seven one on aggregate. This this one didn't really unravel for them all the way until the end of the first half, kind of the beginning of the second half. But they were the worst team from the start. They had chances. You mentioned Ryan. Some disallowed. Some just didn't find the back of the net for Benfica. But on the whole, Benfica outshot Bruges. They created better chances. They controlled the game with the ball. And they dominated the box score. You mentioned the best goal was Bruges' goal from Meyer. It is so rare that you see a ball move and swerve the way that one did. Like I, I cannot describe it properly. Listeners, just go watch it. You'll, you'll not regret spending 30 seconds doing that. But for Benfica, I was kind of tongue-in-cheek about it in the intro. Gonzalo Ramos was fantastic in this game. He was absolutely unreal, which isn't really a surprise for folks that have watched him before or that watched him at the World Cup with Portugal. But he gets two goals and an assist in this match. The assist was a, a good clipped ball to Rafa Silva, who's also one of my favorite players. In the 37th minute, that was the opening goal for Benfica. And then Ramos, you know, you see him running the channels. You see him breaking downfield on, on, uh, in transition moments. You see his passing ability and then... You know, you see him exploit space in the box at such a high level. Like his first goal in this match for Ramos's first goal, not Benfica's, is so good. He cuts across the face of a center back, gets on a ball into the box from John Mario. It's it's a fantastic run. And then he gets the ball on his right foot, cuts past one guy, cuts past another guy, shoots low and hard with that right foot and scores to make it 2-0. Then he gets the 3-0 goal with a, a just kind of a poacher's goal with good movement in the box and bad defending from Bruges. And this one's done. By that point, like Ramos is a match winner right now in the Champions League. I think he's a match winner against clubs better than Bruges as well. I'm I'm really excited to see what he can do in the next round and to see sort of what he can do in at his next team because I'm guessing this is his last Champions League with Benfica. You, you are crushing on Benfica, Joe. Little Lord of Lisbon over there, loving it, aren't you? Yeah, I think he said two of his favorite players play for them. I don't exactly. know how Porto's going to feel about that. Yeah, they're not going to like it. I love Taremi too. Does that make it and- better? Is that cool? Taylor, on the Gonzalo Ramos, th- Ramos thing, as Joe mentioned, he had, had a rather good game here. Sincerely, of all the players Chelsea bought, why didn't they buy him? 
I tried, right? Uh, I, I mean, mean because it'd be too easy to, to sign an out-and-out out number nine attacker that you've got to have a lot of different players who can play on the wing, can't quite play through the middle, and then you try to find a way to shoehorn them all into one uh, formation. That eventually works when VAR gives you a retake of a penalty. Yeah, I mean, Benfica got 120 million euros for a player that had played about 20 games for them. Can you imagine how much they'd get at Chelsea for Gonzalo Ramos, who's <laughs> actually scoring goals, the thing that Chelsea need? <laughs> one billion euros. Yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't be a cheap one, was it? Um, what, what did you make of this one, Graham? Benfica did look very good, and you know, they're moving the ball very quickly, looking very yeah. efficient with everything. But were they? Is it because they were playing? With all due respect to Club Rouge, they weren't playing. Uh, you know, uh, 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 <laughs> quite the I'm really opposition. enjoying the part of the show where Ryan has to pretend like he doesn't want to disrespect <laughs> Club Bruges. And I mean, come on, seven Club nil on aggregate. I mean, sure, that's a one Manchester United performance. Seven against one. Liverpool. Let's not seven one. Goal. Come on, excuse me. Excuse me. One good goal. There that we go. Counting for at least three. It was really good. Yeah. Um, Who's but, been okay, disrespectful now? Bruges are bad at defending <laughs> and weren't very strong in this competition. So uh-huh. were they? Were Benfica flattered by that, or should we? Should they be a key contender as this goes on? Um, they weren't flattered by the scoreline because they deserved to win 7-1 over two legs. But yes, the quality of, of Bruges was certainly a factor. As Joe says, they were by far the weakest team left in this competition. I don't want to say they qualified for the last 16 by uh, by fluke, but they won their first three games because everyone else in that group started the season slowly, including uh, Atletico Madrid and Bayer Leverkusen. So that was a factor. I don't think they won any of their last three games in the group. So you got a hint that maybe... Their momentum had already run out. But in terms of Benfica's performance, still very, very impressive. The understanding between Ramos and Rafa Silva and Jao Mario is, is just so strong. And the movement between the, the three of them in transition, one goes one way, another goes the other way, another has the ball. And then the next attack, it's all sugared up and the opposition has no idea how to, how to track them. Ramos is out in the left sometimes. Uh, Rafa Silva is driving through the middle. Mario's buzzing around. So... That attack in itself, um, I think, is going to cause a lot of teams problems in this competition. And as we mentioned before, these ties, you know, Benfica were in the quarterfinals last season in the Champions League. They have been here before. It's not really a flash in the pan. There has been a gradual progression under Roger Schmidt. And so while they are definitely sort of dark horse material, underdog material, I, if they get a favourable draw, I wouldn't be too surprised if they are in the, in the semifinals. Wow. Big talk. All right, uh, Taylor, any more on this game or should we move on to Totteringham? Just that I understand where Graham's coming from. I am still confused by Brugge, and that makes it hard for me to understand Benfica and how good they actually are. Because Brugge, as, as Graham already laid out, start the group stage really well, then they sort of fall off. And throughout that, we're sort of falling off in the league, which is why Scott Parker is appointed in the first place in, I think, like early mid-December. Uh, and then only has this run of games. The results are, are pretty consistently poor. Lots of draws, scoring goals, but not getting the wins. And... And so with that in mind, I don't know how good like Brugge actually could have been or actually were. And so in some ways, it feels like a team that were sort of already defeated in the season, not really raising their game for this momentous occasion, whereas Benfica played the game they needed to. So I think if Benfica keep that momentum going and stay hungry, I, I think that they could make that run. If they think, we scored seven goals, no big deal. There are certainly teams still alive in this competition who will make them pay for that level of swagger. So I think it could be a very fascinating tie, whoever they draw, because it could be very good or it could be very bad. 
Yeah, draw happening next week after the conclusion of the round. By the way, we've had Brugge, Brugge, and Bruges. We need a house style at TSS <laughs> to figure this out. Are we Flemish? Are we French? I think we need to. They go by all three. I think they they genuinely you can use any of them interchangeably. But I think like Brugge is the one that locals would call them. I think the Guardian did a phonetic pronunciation of this. Uh, what did Scott them. Parker say? Do we know what he says? Ryan loves mm. Scott Parker. Ryan is like in love incorrect. with Scott Parker. I'm into it. <laughs> Yeah, Scott Parker like has netwear. Yeah, Joe, he loves uh, a cardigan. Yeah, no, he. I know he's got a strong cardigan game. I'm, I'm kind of neutral on cardigans, but it, I mean, I think Ryan wants to climb in that cardigan at this point. So, <laughs> is this because I said you love Benfica and you wanted to kissing in a tree? No, I mean, I'm, I'm down. But no, that was that's not really why. It just seems like you like Scott Parker. I'm here for it. I do, I do. Um, you know, uh, people who get jobs they shouldn't get and. <laughs> <laughs> Overachieve, underachieve in those jobs. All, all good for me, Joe. We all know where we can find the the real way to pronounce Bruges, though, right? And the alcoves. Just need to look in the alcoves. <laughs> Did he talk to you about the alcoves too? <laughs> That's uh, my riff finds. You're welcome. In uh, that movie, famously has a riff about Tottenham being purgatory. So yep. why don't we talk about Tottenham uh, next? Oh, that, that is a devastating but perfect segue, right? There we really? go. There we go. That's what I'm here for. That's why oh I get the medium God. bucks, Tay-Tay. Uh, Tottenham nil, Milan nil. Milan going through 1-0 on aggregate in this one. Uh, nice customary Christian, Christian Romero red card in this one. He loves love a danger him. challenge, doesn't he? he? He avoided the red in the first leg. He's like, I'm going to get it in the second leg. That's what I'm going to do. Good on you, Romero, for that one. But it seemed, um, Graham, Milan pretty much able to stay in control in this one Spurs I've used the word passive already in this episode but they were passive in this one and pretty poor uh, Antonio Conte uh, likely to become the seventh permanent Spurs manager to try and fail to end Spurs's 15 year trophy drought yeah this is the end of the road for Antonio Conte at, at, at Tottenham uh, it came out before the match that there's no desire on either side to extend beyond the end of the season when his contract will will run out and the way things are going right now, I'd be surprised if he even uh, he even got to the end of the season because I haven't seen a group of fans as unanimously furious as Spurs fans were on Wednesday night after this match. And I remember peak uh, peak Arsene Wenger out times. I remember those days, and I think it was on on a par with that. Um, and I can understand why Spurs fans are, are, are fuming. They have wasted three years, um, really on Daniel Levy's vanity projects, sacking Pochettino for Jose Mourinho, I'll never get my head around that, then going for Nuno Espirito Santo, then getting Antonio Conte, which who was the man they wanted all along, but not really giving him the tools to um, to succeed. And it just seems like he, he never wanted this job. He was talked into it by his old mate uh, Paratici. He complained from the moment he arrived. Spurs gave him some of the players he wanted, but not all of them. He was only on an 18-month contract to begin with. And to be honest, I know he's had his health issues, so that might be affecting his body language and conduct. It feels like he's checked out, and he's checked out for for, for a number of weeks. Um, and by, by the way he's looking right now and the way he's behaving, he is resigned to this team just kind of drifting away from him. And some of his quotes after the game as well, where he's basically begging <laughs> Spurs to sack him. Yeah. Um, he says, I'm under contract at Tottenham. Then we'll de- decide at the end of the season with the club. My contract expires in June. We will see. They might sack me even before the end of the season. Who knows? Maybe they are disappointed. I mean, I had, I'm not sure I've ever seen a manager say something like that where he, he just wants put out of his misery wow. and Spurs want to be put out of their misery with Conte as well. We So we hear managers say 
something along those lines, like when Jesse Marsh is in trouble at Leeds, eventually you will hear them say, like, you know, it's up to the ownership, it's up to the board at this point, and I hope you know, like they're willing to stick around and see through the project, and I still have faith in myself and this team. And that's the difference right there, is that you will hear them say, it's out of my hands, I know we're not playing well, because any manager who doesn't say that is immediately hit for not having perspective, not understanding the situation, and, and just sort of feeling disconnected. But you still want to see that fight. You still want to see that, like, but I'm here. I want to stick around. I want to make something happen. It's, it's what Mbappe came out and said after PSG were eliminated. And so for Conte to have that very, like, well, who knows, you know? I mean, I understand why they're mad. And also, if they wanted to pay for the flight, like, I wouldn't be opposed. Like, it's very, <laughs> very, I have one foot out the door. This is not what I wanted. And it's just, it is a really strange situation, Graham. You ran through the list of managers, lest we forget. They almost brought in Gennaro Gattuso before there was kind of a backlash oh, yeah. to that one. That That's almost so happened before Conte so just the level of disorder and basic reliance on two players in Son Heung-min and Harry Kane that like they should be the difference makers we can surround them with enough squad players and we'll find a way to make it work and it's kind of been the case that when you don't put those players in a position that they want to be in you don't like like allow them to be basically up the pitch with numbers around them or bombing forward having won the ball high up they're not going to look as effective and that is exactly how it played out in this game yeah and and the fact that it it seems likely that they're going to bring back Pochettino there were fans at the end of this game you could hear them on the tv broadcast singing his name I saw videos from the concourse of the stadium with Spurs fans singing his name it is an easy decision for I'm not necessarily saying it's the right decision, but it's an easy decision for Spurs to to bring him back and get all these unhappy fans back on side. That very much seems like the way it's trending. But when Spurs do that, they are just going to throw into focus how much time that they have wasted. Because yep. I would presume Pochettino comes in this summer, they will back him to a certain extent, he will get some players, and if we cast our mind back three three years, he leaves Spurs because Spurs are not willing to give him the money. They then proceed to give Mourinho the money and Conte the money, but not Pochettino. The way this club has been led over the last few seasons has yeah. has been pretty much a calamity. It's it's you look at this squad. Like I mean, forget Conte, forget Pochettino. Like do whatever on the managerial side. This is not a, a Champions League contending squad. It, it's just not. Like you look at this team. Harry Kane is 29. He is still an elite attacking player, but he is 29. He is nearing the end of his prime. You look at Youngman's son. He's 30. Right for a winger, for an attacker whose game is built on. Not entirely, but is is at least partially built on speed and athleticism. He is already well out of his prime. You you have Richarlison, who is very unhappy with how things have been going with Conte and had some some very uh, choice things to say after this match. He's on the bench, but Ooh, he's a good I piece. That. I missed that. But I mean, in uh, yeah, I don't remember what the quote was, but he was he was confused and angry about him being on the bench and <laughs> and sort of how his role has oscillated back and forth throughout the season. He got, uh, I mean, did he look, get did he get Conte's face tattooed on his back and then did he cross it out? Is that how he showed his his? We disrespect? can hope. We can hope, Taylor. Good. <laughs> I want to, to see that so bad now, especially with that same tattoo artist. Like Conte's exactly, the one of course, yeah. in his mind who actually deserves that. Right. But I mean, you look yeah. at the midfield in this game. It's Oliver Skip and Emil Hoiberg, which is not it's not bad. But that, that is not a midfield that's going to win you the Champions League, right? So Ivan good. Perisic, an older <laughs> winger, 34 years old, who moved from winger to left wing back on one side. Emerson, Royale. I mean, the talent's just not here. Like, it can be Pochettino who comes in. But unless they're getting, like, Chelsea kind of investment, although maybe that's not the best example, unless they're, yeah. like, really fully committed to elevating their squad, like... Tottenham are not within a stone's throw of a title. They're, they're not in the stone's throw of a Premier League title. They're not in a stone's throw of the Champions League title. They are years away. They are transfer window after transfer window after transfer window away 
from anything meaningful in terms of results in a, in a competition like this. Credit to Milan, by the way, quickly. We've talked about Tottenham this whole time, and Milan are the ones going through. They were the better team in this game, probably the better team in this tie. Uh, Christian Romero gave them a gift by putting them down to 10-man Tottenham. I, I don't think they were like amazing, and to be honest, I don't think Milan have what it takes to win this thing either, but I get credit to them for being better than Tottenham in this tie. Um I have like a, a good 10 minutes on Milan. I don't. I want to talk about Spurs some more. I will say about Milan, I think Barney Rone uh, pointed out that this is a Milan team that have basically been reigning in spending for the last three years and sort of trying to live within a budget, not splashing huge, huge amounts on transfers. And so we're, we're not t- even talking about a Milan team that are kind of resurgent and rebuilt and dominant in Serie A, obviously. So for Spurs to have this opportunity to play a very good historically team and a good team this season, but not great, this was a result, I think, or this was a tie they could have gotten through, and they didn't. And, and to look at that squad that you guys have already laid out one more time, it's the squad itself combined with who assembled it. And you look at Jose Mourinho and the way he plays, and you look at Antonio Conte and the way he plays, and now to bring Mauricio Pochettino back, in my mind, it's fundamentally different styles. There's some crossover between yeah. Conte and Mourinho in the defensive approach, in sitting deep and countering, in how you want to kind of control the game. Whereas with Pochettino, I think of it as high-pressing, high-intensity, it's Bielsa ball, and, and, or Poch ball, whichever one you want to go with. And so I don't know if the players that they've signed in that sort of period between Poch leaving and Poch potentially coming back, I don't know how well they fit his system. And so that requires probably an even greater outlay to sort of change up the team a little bit. And maybe that does mean moving on some of those big, big names, because at least they still command somewhat of a high fee. Either way, it's just a very confusing time for Tottenham, uh, a team that like briefly felt like they had kind of figured some things out this season. Even this season, it seemed like there were moments when, okay, they're, on the, they're finally back to it, they're winning some games, they're looking okay, and then things fall off once again. They, they spent 40 million either pounds and euros on P- Pedro Porro, who is very much a system player mm-hmm. for Conte. They, they signed him to be the right wing back in a, in a team. When it was, when it was apparent, at, even at, in January, it was apparent that Conte probably wasn't going to be staying beyond the end of the season. They're now probably going to hire a manager who is a 4-3-3 manager and is not going to have a place for 40 million pounds Pedro Porro in that team. And as you say, Taylor, or as, as you reference, point out, um, there's a lot of players in this team that are not going to fit for Pochettino. And the thing with the Spurs' argument on the other side of um, that whole episode where Pochettino left was Pochettino was very specific about players that he wanted. Spurs would come to, come go to him with players that they thought were good players, good talents, would improve the team, and Pochettino would be very exact and say, no, they don't do this specific thing, I can't fit them in, into my team. So I shudder to think what he what he's going to be like when he walks back through that door and he's got a Mourinho-slash-Conte squad to work with. Uh, well, based on this performance, he's going to walk through the door and then uh, Romero's just going to come flying through and crush him because he doesn't <laughs> really know what's going on, so why not just tackle? Man, that was not a, a, a good moment. I did really enjoy Romero then... I'm assuming pretending to have to be injured in hopes that like maybe that mitigates the yellow card a little bit, but it does not go well. So you just have the referee looming over him with the red card waiting and waiting and waiting. I want to also give credit to Teo Hernandez for that one. It does seem to me like Milan recognized that Romero is a liability when the pressure's on. And Hernandez just had a few little pokes, a few little prods, a few little jabs. And then there's that 50-50. Not even a 50-50. Hernandez has the ball in his dribbling. I don't know if he would have kept it in bounds, but... Romero took his moment for sure, and that's another thing that I think will have Spurs fans shaking their heads, just that 
they were starting to look a little bit better. Uh, to quote that same Bar- Barney Roney article, it was just such a devastating line. I really enjoyed this one. He said, things changed a little in the second half. Spurs were still terrible, but they were terrible slightly quicker. And I think that is a great way to explain what Tottenham were trying to do, trying to get a little momentum. Richarlison comes on. He has something to prove. And then it's the red card. They're playing a man down. Then Davidson Sanchez comes on. That was a bit of a head scratcher. Don't know why they went defensive there when they needed the goal. But they did, and they didn't get that goal. And now here we are. So some, some questionable decisions in the lineup, some questionable decisions in the changes that Conte made, and overall just some questionable decisions. Indeed, yeah, I did enjoy the uh, the red card, uh, Taylor, because the referee not raising it because because the, the player was on the Romero was on the floor. He didn't go full arm up in the air with the red card. It was just a because you're <laughs> relatively low yeah. down on the floor. I'm just going to go just around my head height with the card. <laughs> and you heard uh, the, the Hernandez yeah. scream as well from the from the pit side mic as he went down as well, which is always a nice bit of drama to add to things. But with Mil- Milan went through in this one, I don't think they'll be super happy because they'll feel like they could have buried this game earlier and should have for sure. But one interesting interesting thing I noted, I saw some comments on the BBC website about how when this game's going to the 90th minute and they put the board up for how many minutes are of extra time, the, the comment was made that a Stamford Bridge or another stadium, there would be a roar. We need, we got one goal to get in yep. this and push this one. But they were saying it was dead silent in the stadium. Yeah. Everyone at Spurs has given up. Yeah. I'm not even kidding. Like that, Watching this match, it, it felt like... Uh, like a group stage game or or a, like a what's the league cup called these days carabao cup sort of early round match yeah. where you're thinking the spurs kind of know they need to win this yeah. match there was no urgency whatsoever conte's taking off kulisevsky for davidson sanchez with seven minutes to go as you say ryan there was no atmosphere around the stadium there was no nobody was pushing on the players to try and get that late goal yeah every everyone has checked out at, at Spurs this season it, it genuinely had similar vibes to to, to Bruges or to Bruges whatever we're going with with them just like <laughs> that there was no sort of we can get back into this there was no like like the crowd tried I'm not trying to take shots at, at, at the Spurs supporters but I, I think the commentator said it well when they pointed out that it felt like Spurs were basically hoping that an individual would make something brilliant happen. And that did seem to be a large part of the plan, Romero especially once uh, Sanchez comes on. Uh, yeah, I guess Romero took care of that one. Uh, <laughs> but but it, I think it just, there wasn't that belief. There wasn't that sort of continued pressure that you need. You need to kind of suffocate the other team and make them feel like it's impossible for them to get any sort of footing in this game. And then you start knocking and then you start getting some shots. Spurs only had, what, like two in the game, I think, something like that. And it, it just never really felt like they had a collective idea for how to get back into it. You had the team really, really stretched. So you'd have Son and Harry Kane high up the pitch at times, trying to lead the press, trying to make something happen. And then you'd still have defenders 40 yards, 50 yards behind the ball, just too stretched, too spread out, not enough cohesive idea when it came to how to get back into that game. And I think that goes a long way towards explaining why they didn't. Yep. Taylor, you know the the videos that you sent us of the, the amazing leaping dog that you have. Yes, um, kind of when you drop the ball and the mm-hmm. dog is there yes. in a flash. Yes. Kind of, that, that's Christian Romero into a tackle, <laughs> yeah. like, just out of the frame, just out of nowhere. See, that makes sense because uh, the dog that you're referring to also loves to run full speed like right at my knees and then at the very last minute we'll go off to one side uh but sometimes if you don't trust her to do that and you step in the wrong direction she goes straight head first into your knee with that bowling ball of a head and does take you out and does deserve a red card that's happened twice and that does feel very romero-esque 
I want to see yeah, a round of. Uh, yeah, can we put the Belgian Malinois game of chicken on uh, on our Patreon? That sounds fun. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> we could try. We could try. All right, very good. And not so much fun being have had at Tottenham at the moment. Evidently, though, amazing that he lose every single game, but are still in like basically top four contention in the Premier League. I don't know how that's working out, but uh, uh, not a good season for Tottenham by all accounts. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we've left the big. Hollywood blockbuster game until last year. Bayern Munich against PSG. Plus, of course, the real headliner, CONCACAF Champions League. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Bayern Munich 2, Paris Saint-Germain, nil point. 3-0 on aggregate for Bayern Munich in this one. The aforementioned Eric Chupamoting, former PSG man, opening the scoring, and Serge Gnabry on the break, making it 2-0. This one, Taylor, we, we, we're used to the PSG collapse in this competition this mm-hmm. was a different kind of collapse they didn't have a lead to give away it's more they just didn't show up in this game that that is kind of the most damning part of this for me is that there wasn't even that oh they were up three nil and then they found a way to give it away oh they were up one nil and then they got a port like an unfortunate penalty called against them and they end up uh like getting knocked out they never really felt like they were truly in this game, in my mind, they have opportunities. Don't get me wrong. Uh, with Kylian Mbappe, you will always have opportunities. And I think they did get some chances. I think a lot of this has to do with the way they played against Marseille. Very similar formation, very similar approach. Not just going long and direct every single time, trying to sort of play out of the press and then find those players that can make that difference. But I think Bayern just did some really smart things. I think the way they set up under Nagelsmann, this feels like it might be his thesis statement going forward of how he wants his team to play because there were so many different rotations. There were so many different players in different spaces at different points based on where the ball was. I have to believe that Joe enjoyed this one and probably has uh, more data and thoughts on that than I will. But just to say that one little wrinkle I thought worked really well, Bayern in theoretically a 4-2-3-1, it was lots of different shapes at lots of different points. But when they would get... Uh, usually, like so let's say uh, Jan Sommer takes a goal kick, he plays it to uh, Matthias de Ligt. So now they're maybe 30 yards from their own goal. Routinely, what I would see is Alfonso Davies almost like level with Eric Chupamoteng, pushing way up the pitch. But then it would be uh, usually Musiala cycling into the space that Alfonso Davies had vacated and almost functioning as like a left back like uh, in possession and receiving the ball. But because Davies would do that, Hakimi then has to make a difference of do I go with Davies or do I stay with Musiala? But it just it kept making PSG have to make decisions. They kept having to try to figure out what they needed to do. And I think anytime you're making your opponent sort of 
be indecisive or have to stop to figure out what they're supposed to be doing. You're controlling the game. You're controlling the way it's played. And I felt like Bayern just did an exceptional job of controlling this game. PSG have opportunities, don't get me wrong, but I am not surprised at all that we're talking about a 3-0 aggregate scoreline here. No, I'm not surprised about that either. And Taylor, I love you you diving into some of the tactics there. I thought PSG were generally fine in the first half. Like, I don't think Bayern played them off the field. I think they had moments. They had the best chance of the first half. Uh, but but really, they were never dominant. Like, PSG coming into this game, the big question for them was, can they break through Bayern Munich being down 1-0 on aggregate? This PSG team, especially with Mbappe in the lineup, is best suited to play on the break. They just are. That's the, they, that's the single biggest tactical advantage they'll have in any game is Mbappe's ability to break and beyond combined with Messi's ability to feed him and to play underneath. That sort of pendulum effect is what makes PSG so dangerous. But coming into this game, Bayern Munich didn't have to extend. And they did possess because that's how Nagelsmann wants this team to play. They did control the ball. They did use a bunch of those fancy rotations that we've seen them really come to love under Nagelsmann that that the best teams in the world all use in, in one degree or another. But PSG really couldn't break through. They couldn't break through Bayern Munich. I think in a game like this, you see, like you think back to the first leg, right? Which we talked about uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, whenever that was, when Gautier starts Neymar and Messi together, when they really have no, when they really have no attacking threat on the break, they have no threat in transition. It was easy for Bayern Munich to pin them in, and it's too late by the time Gautier makes that change. Bayern Munich are ahead; they win that game one nil, and PSG have to claw back in this match, which is just not really the spot that they want to be in. They have plenty of talent to do it, but they put themselves in an un- un- unnecessary hole in this match. I thought the tactics from the first leg came back to bite them. And I thought in general, this is sort of, and we're going to talk about this more uh, tomorrow so people can come back for for more detailed PSG chat. I thought this sort of like brought their reckless and careless squad build to light. Like this was kind of a reckoning. Five years of the last seven, PSG have not made it past the round of 16 in the Champions League, which by their standards is an absolute failure. When you build the squad sort of like, let's put this star in here. Let's put this star in here. Let's put this star in here. I don't think you should be surprised when you clearly didn't put that much thought and effort into building the squad when you crash out in a moment like this against a team that clearly does think through their squad builds, that clearly does think through their tactical approach and has balance in the team. I thought Bayern Munich were better overall in this game by the time the full 90 minutes were played. I thought they were better in this tie. And for me, they hands down are the team that deserve to go through. Completely agree, Joe. And, and when you look at, I know there's a lot of focus on PSG's attack and how it makes them top heavy, but even when you look at their midfield and defensive setup compared to Bayern Munich, so obviously Bayern Munich, they, they push up high, they get Davis wide on the right, they tuck in Musiala to help in midfield and pretty much everywhere, to be honest, with Jamal Musiala. And PSG, to a certain extent, should have the personnel to do a lot of the same things. You know, they have Hakimi, they have Marquinhos, who has a good bit of recovery pace, but the balance of that midfield in particular just isn't right. And if you look Look at Kimmich and Goretzka and then Musiala, who I've already mentioned. And they all combine together so well. And PSG, on the other hand, they have no control in there and weirdly no cohesion either. And last summer was meant to be about cohesion. Why is Renato Sanchez, I know he's had injuries, but he's on the bench in this game. And I don't think he comes on at all at any point in this match. Why is he not carrying PSG forward? Because in this match, it just felt like Bayern Munich, and in the first leg as well for a lot of that game, Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich were just suffocating him and for Leo he was this excellent irrepressible box-to-box midfielder and guess who his manager was there it was Christophe Gauthier so I, d- I just don't get it really Taylor you want to add something there just that I also want to give a small amount of credit to uh, Bayern's landscaping crew or uh, the grounds crew <laughs> because 
I'm assuming that they overwatered this pitch and maybe left it a little bit long. I guess leaving it long would slow the ball up, but it was a recurring thing, at least in the first half, that players could not get their footing. There were very heavy touches a lot of the time. Players sort of losing control when you wouldn't expect them to. And I'm going to assume that that was a deliberate thing done by Bayern to just try to cut down on the effectiveness of Mbappe in behind, of playing Mbappe long, of Mbappe having that time and space to get that touch and have that acceleration. I, I think that was a sort of notable moment because it made the game really sloppy. And so any level of control was going to stand out. And I think Bayern were, for the reasons we've already talked about, and the reasons I'm sure we'll continue to talk about, just the more likely to have that control, to be able to slow it down a little bit more. And I think PSG with that with Messi and Mbappe aren't going to be able to press you as a collective unit. They're not going to apply that level of pressure and intensity. So you can, if you're Bayern, slow it down and make smarter passes and just like have it be a little bit more what you need it to be in the moment. Joshua Kimmich is so good at that, about like, you know what? No, I'm pinging the ball all the way back to our goalkeeper and we will reset possession. We don't need to rush this. We can take our time. And I think BSG couldn't take their time, obviously, because they're 1-0 down after the first leg. But also, I don't think... That was part of their game. I think especially as the game goes on, they they try to go more direct, and I think Bayern were were well prepared for that. Credit to Matthias De Ligt as well, by the way, for having a couple big plays, including that one sort of sliding on the goal line uh, clearance. I love that one because he makes the play. I also love that one because before he's even done sliding, he's already screaming, yeah, and celebrating in (laughs) slow motion. It was a fun moment uh, and a very good performance from him. It was indeed. As Joe teased, we are going to be talking more about PSG and their European situation in the big thing on Friday. So look out for that in the feed. By the way, I watched this game on Paramount with the two screen thing with the Tottenham game. I have regrets over that. I should have just watched this game. I think (laughs) I feel bad for for neutrals who thought maybe Spurs Milan will be more engaging because this one, even before the goal started happening, it was just a really fun, physical, kind of chaotic game at times. Uh, I very much enjoyed it. The only non-chaotic part of this game was Eric Chupamotang. I have questions about him. I think he might be a robot. Uh, He has the one where he sort of unintentionally saves a a shot because he is in an offside position trying not to be involved. I forget who shoots it, but they shoot it straight into him. He has no reaction. He's just sort of like, yeah, okay. And then he scores the goal and kind of has no reaction and is sort of just like, yeah, okay. He just nods, I think. He doesn't seem to be a very like uh, emotional, uh, demonstrative person. But I also think that works well because he's doing what needs to be done in terms of keeping position and scoring goals, but doing a good job at hold-up play. I'm very happy that Robert Lewandowski has had a, a good season or good enough season at Barcelona because if it weren't for that, if he had gone there and struggled, I would think Bayern Munich just make that person very good regardless of who they are. That Lewandowski has gone on to do good things at Barca means that Chupamotin can be properly appreciated for just being a very good Lewandowski deputy, but also a very good player in his own right. Is he, is he do you mean robotic in like the Berbatov cool as a cucumber yes, kind of way? Yes, exactly that. Yeah. Exactly. That is a great comparison, Ryan. It is that <laughs> same level of like, oh. I'll do it again. It'll be fine. Uh, Even just that celebration of like, yep, I scored a goal. It is what I have done. You are welcome. He gets picked up in the air and just continues to nod. Not a ton of emotion from Chupamoteng. Indeed. I'm sure plenty of emotion from PSG's uh, upper echelons. Graham, this is, as we've kind of inferred, a team with the two most expensive players of all time. Arguably the greatest player in the history of the game on their side as well. No, uh, they, they sold Keylor Navas, so he's he's not. Oh, there my anymore. mistake, yeah. my mistake. Yeah. Uh, but they failed to score over 180 minutes against Bayern Munich. I mean, 
you can say what you like about what Bayern did of Makano doing a good job keeping Messi under wraps or Mbappe's service being cut out. But fundamentally, yeah. this is a, they've spent nearly $2 billion on players. They've gone past the Champions League quarterfinals twice in that 11 or 12 year period, whatever it is. So, how? how why? Why garbage? <laughs> Um, because in soccer, money helps, but it doesn't win you everything. And, and Bayern Munich, obviously, in stark contrast, are this like well-coached, well-built team. And getting past a well-built, well-coached team when you're a badly built, badly coached team is not going to be easy. And this kind of felt like the end of a cycle for PSG. The, the Mbappe, Messi, Neymar project, I think it's fair to say, has failed miserably. Neymar not available for this game. I think it says a lot about his, his standing in the, at that club right now, that there was a lot of theorising that that might actually help PSG. I think it might have helped PSG because I, I I think this match would have gone even worse for them if Neymar, if it's a front three of, of, of Messi, Neymar and, and Mbappe with how little those players do out of possession. Messi's out of contract at the end of the season. It seems like Neymar, if they can find a buyer, and that's another discussion, if they can find a buyer, Neymar might be on his way out. You would expect Gauthier to also be sacked given the way PSG have, have, have you know ploughed through managers the last few years. I saw that Luis Campos, his, his future is going to be decided as well, so there could be a new sporting director. They are just, they're miles away from the level that, that, that they need to be at. Um, and I think two or three years ago, it felt like they were maybe getting somewhere. They made the final in that weird COVID season. Mbappe and Neymar, there was a relationship between the two of them. Obviously, Messi wasn't there at that, at that time. Um, and that would have been, who did they make the final under? That was Tuchel, right? That took them to the Champions League final. And at yeah. that point, things were going relatively well. But when you look at the where they've gone from that point, it's been a, a real regression. And they just need a full, and obviously we'll talk more about this in the big thing, but they just need a full kind of cultural and ideological reset of that club. Yeah. A French Revolution on the card, Graham. A second one, shall we say. Indeed. All right, more on that on Friday's show, as Graham says there. Before we leave, Joe, can we do a quick roundup of the CONCACAF Champions League, which came around this weekend? How about we start with Austin? How did they get on in uh, Haiti? It was good, right? Good. Yeah, they did really, really well. Everybody left happy, uh, especially Austin. No, they got played off the field frankly by Violette in that match a team that has according to transfer market and all this stuff should be taken with a grain of salt but according to transfer market they have the lowest squad value of any team in this competition and Violette came out there and was genuinely the better team against Austin Josh Wolf completely rotated his lineup and that came back to bite him I think on paper that was the right decision right you've got MLS games to deal with you should be able to take care of business even with a, a rotational 11 Austin just couldn't. They were bad with the ball. They haven't been all that good in MLS play so far this year. They were bad defensively. They don't have any really quality center backs right now. Their their first choice center back is out with an injury, Julio Cascante. They don't have proven quality MLS players in that spot outside of Cascante. So they look vulnerable and they were embarrassed, frankly. Like we're looking at the biggest CONCACAF Champions League upset involving an MLS team ever. Like according to the odds in this game, the striker had a good piece on this. This is the, the largest upset that an MLS team has ever seen in the CONCACAF Champions League. It was it was incredible to watch. Like it had all the CCL components you could ever ask for, except for the dog that was in uh, that was in the Union's game against Alianza. But it was like th- this is something that should haunt Austin FC. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. It doesn't mean they're going to have a bad season in MLS, but it it was in- embarrassing for that club. It was really tough to watch from an Austin perspective. Joe, it was Alianza nil, Philadelphia nil. Do you think they? realized there wasn't going to be a goal, so they sent on the massive dog. How, how do you think that played out? Was it a, a ploy? 
Yeah, maybe there's a conspiracy here where they knew like the Philadelphia Union traveling on the road to Central America, like this game is never, ever going to have a goal in it. And uh, we're going to need something to get people excited. A dog runs on the field in this game. It's great. That is the best part of, of this game. You know, there were a couple of bright spots for Philly. Quinn Sullivan, I thought, had a decent game. Jack McGlynn uh, gets a start in this match, and it's good to see him get minutes because he's a really high uh, potential prospect. But there's not a lot of really soccer reasons to dive any further into this one. All right. Uh, Taylor, I believe you're watching uh, Orlando take on Tigres. I was, because Orlando are a team I don't always watch. Uh, I have no particular negative feeling toward them. I just don't always get excited to watch them. But this time I was, and I thought this was a really fun game, uh, even if there wasn't a ton of, of, of goal-scoring action. But the way the two teams, I think, were happy to go at each other, then back off. It's like uh, it's like if two boxers also heavily smoked, and so they could fight like really aggressively for like a couple, for like a minute, and then the second minute they were just sort of standing off, like, all right, let's take our breath here. The kind of back-and-forth uh, erratic nature of this game I thought was really fun. Uh, Orlando had some opportunities, did not take them. Joe, is that going to be par for the course for Orlando? Because I didn't think their finishing was uh, efficient, put it that way. Yeah, I I kind of reject, for the most part, finishing being a, a like a super important thing. Like I, I would say getting so into good say spots is more important. Yeah, I feel okay. like Orlando should have done better with most of their shooting. Good, is that better? That's, Does that help? I love yeah, that one. Perfect. I love cool. that one. I mean, All no, right. like I don't, I don't really put any stock in that. What I, I did see from Orlando is they didn't always seem to get in a ton of good spots, which is tough to do away to Tigres. Like, I, I don't think that's a, a real problem. Yeah. They were outshot 22-9 to nine in this game. Like, Tigres was better. Hands down, it was Pedro Gaese that won Orlando this match. And that's helpful because Gaese really hasn't been as good as his reputation says he is in Major League Soccer. So that's a huge step for them if he's going to have a good season. For Orlando, the question is, can they get in good spots? Like, can Facundo Torres be this guy that is, for some reason, linked to Arsenal, even though he's never really showed that he's that good in Major League Soccer. Can Ojeda be something? Because he has, he's been kind of nothing in MLS so far. It's only been two games, three games if you count this one in CCL. But he hasn't been good, and they need him to be good. Can, uh, can Gonzalez give them something after missing last year with an injury? I think he's got a little to offer, but you know, it's just so early on in the year for Orlando that I hesitate to make a lot of grand sweeping judgments, even about their attack or, you know, the spots they're getting in or the shots they're taking. But on the whole, like to to back out one step, this is a massive result for Orlando. Like this is the biggest result hands down for any MLS team. Really, I think any, well, I shouldn't say any team, BLS result is, is probably the biggest in this competition so far. But for an MLS team to go down to Tigres and hold them to zero goals and give themselves a real fighting chance to advance, a team in Orlando that I and a lot of others had almost already written off before this thing started, that's super impressive. So, Taylor, I know I kind of didn't answer your question. I guess I'm just kind of in a wait-and-see mode. Did you see anything else from Orlando or from Tigres that you thought was interesting in this game? Uh, there was the the red card incident. I thought w- was interesting, not quite from a tactics perspective, but uh, Andre Piagniak gets a red card. Then the red card is taken back, and I think that was the correct decision uh, because it shouldn't have been a red card. But especially in this game, it's basically he gets into a tussle as he's standing up. There's like a little bit of shoving, and I think when he shoves his elbow, his hand kind of slides, and then there's a little bit of forearm contact, uh, and so that was where the red card was given. But that was absolutely just par for the course in this game, where there was just a lot yes. of back and forth, a lot of physical. And I really enjoyed his like, yeah, I know it wasn't a red card jerk when the uh, red card was taken away by the official. So that was another highlight for me. Uh, But yeah, I thought this game was was fun from start to finish, but also fun because it gives Orlando a chance to advance. And I like MLS teams advancing, uh, even if Austin does not. Well, uh, Vancouver have a good chance. A 5-0 win over Real España of Honduras. 
Yeah, they were dominant at home. Vancouver, they, I mean, five goals to nil. They created better chances. They had better shots. They were the more talented team, and it showed, which is good because that wasn't always the case. Taylor, that was a good Austin burn you had there. I, I, uh, I want that to get some credit. But I mean, the real, the real challenge for Vancouver is probably going to start in the next stage of this competition. If they make it through, which they, they should, barring some sort of catastrophe down in Central America, then it, it'll start to get realer for them in the uh, in the quarterfinals. Uh, Graham, LAFC are in action on Thursday night at Alajuense. Uh, it's a 3 a.m. UK kickoff and unlikely to be broadcast in the UK. So mm. I want a full match report on my desk on Friday morning, please. Okay, no problem. I mean, I will be up at that time watching the tennis uh, from Indian Wells. So I'll be I'll follow it on Twitter and let you know what happens nice. there. Joe, tweet about it and I'll just regurg- regurgitate that in Ryan's direction. Deal. Indian Wells, the fifth slam, tennis paradise. Uh, Wonderful. Uh, but, like aggressively trying to keep us away from any sort of tennis <laughs> chat. Uh, I'm, I'm going to want to go back Let's to Vancouver. Let's go back to CCL then. <laughs> I want to go back to Vancouver uh, because as the... If not conductor, then at the very least a passenger on the Vancouver hype train. This this result gave me so much joy. Uh, Takaoka, I think 23 of 25 in his passing uh, as a goalkeeper. Uh, not too shabby. He had some long balls that came off well. I love his distribution. Uh, Laborda, who I was hyped about, who is Christian Romero, but less rash, has a good game. They keep a clean Boy. sheet here. I thought this was uh, a great result for Vancouver, obviously. Yeah. And then one more thing I wanted to... Uh, to talk about for a moment was Olympia v Atlas. I forget yes. what this finished. If it was was it four one or five to one? Four one. Four one. Uh, so a great result for Olympia at home. I'm going to assume that they will have a, a trickier time at Atlas, but I think they will still get through. And whoever they end up playing needs to be very, very worried about Jorge Benguche. Uh, that Thank might be a, uh, the wrong pronunciation. I knew nothing about him until this game. He's 26 years old. I need someone in MLS to sign him. He's listed at six foot two. He looks like he's six foot five. He is huge. Uh, he cannot be knocked off the ball, but both of his goals are scored on the counter. He, it's just a vertical ball through. He runs on. He has a good touch for the first one. Really good touch for the first one. And it's an incredible sort of lifted finish. Uh, who was it for Cameroon who pulled that one off in the World Cup? Uh, Abubakar, right? Oh, Abubakar. Yes. yes. Very similar finish. Uh, sort of straight up in the air and then it slowly bounces into the goal. Uh, but I don't know how you defend against him because he is strong but fast and also good. Uh, like, think Lukaku and the way Lukaku wants to sort of be played in and run, it, run in on goal, have a defender that he can sort of body off and then score. That's what Benguche does and I don't know who can handle him uh, from the MLS teams. So keep an eye on him if and when they advance. Wonderful stuff. Thank you very much, guys. Graham, a pleasure as always having you podcast with us here today. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Taylor Rockwell. Thank you, sir. My pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Joe Lowry. Keep on Benfica loving, bro. Yeah, may Scott Parker be your best friend now and forever. (laughs) Oh, I wish. Thank you very much. Thank you, listener, for joining us on this one. We'll be back on the feed very shortly with that PSG special. But for now, bye. Slash it.